Remember, you can stay up to date on the latest news with the Irish Independent WhatsApp channel. On this week's Big Tech Show, when will cars safely drive themselves on our streets? And who in Ireland is providing the technology to help them do that? We talk to one of the country's biggest automotive autonomy entrepreneurs. I have BMW Drive Assist in my own vehicle and it is much, much safer because we are all prone to distraction, especially when we're on the motorway from Limerick to Dublin, for example. We've all been there where you actually forgot a whole section of the road. So I would say if you take it from a safety perspective and it does allow you to kind of relax. The Big Tech Show, available on all podcast platforms. If you like the Indo Daily, you can follow us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Today on the Indo Daily, Daniel Kinahan, Bomber Kavanagh, Jim Mansfield, the Cartel Mansion, and the bags of cash. Fairly bizarre uh, recollection of it from the main witness in the case against Jim Mansfield, Martin Byrne, and what he told Gardy was that he was dispatched in the early hours of the morning after Good Friday to, to Sagard House, which was the private residence of Jim Mansfield. He was told to make room uh, available for a van, and Martin Byrne recalled to Gardy that he arrived at the property, he opened up the gates, and allowed this van access, and uh, fairly bizarre scenes. Two men he didn't recognise got out. No words were spoken. He opened the door to the house. They brought in these two big Navy canvas-style suitcases dropped them into a downstairs office and left and no words were said. Martin Byrne said he locked up. And the following afternoon, he recalled how he spoke to Jim Mansfield about what happened. He went to the house and in the downstairs office, he saw Jim Jr. open one of the suitcases with bundles of cash coming from it. And Mansfield told him that there was around 4.5 million in cash in the two suitcases. And that was paid by the group of lads in the hotel the night before. And interestingly, Martin Byrne said, Jim Jr. joked to him, even when I'm partying, I'm still making money. I'm Fionn Sheehan, and today on the Indo Daily, Irish dependent reporter Robin Schiller reveals the details of a 4.5 million euro drug money deal between the Kinahan cartel and the Mansfields, and how it all turned sour. Robin, a Good Friday gathering, City West Hotel, 2009. Uh, Jim Mansfield Jr. Uh, the son of the owner of of that that large hotel complex, hosting a a group of can only be described as Irish criminals. Uh, why and what was this gathering about? Uh, well, it really was a who's who of Irish criminals. You had the likes of Fat Freddie Thompson there, who'd be notorious for his involvement in organised crime and now convicted murder. You would have had Paul Rice with connections to the Kinahan gang and Thomas Bomber Kavanagh, who also had links to the Kinahans. And essentially they were dispatched, as you know now, now know, to the City West Hotel on Good Friday in 2009 to essentially uh, shake hands on a business deal. And this was in effect a handover money to be used to uh, buy four townhouses in the Sagart Lodge Court uh, complex being developed by Jim Mansfield. And essentially, they were there to make sure things went smoothly, to shake hands in a deal and to deliver the money. And Jim Mansfield also ensured that they were looked after, they were given VIP treatment. They were told, he told his staff to give them access to rooms that needed so. And it really showed the goings-on in City West at the time that you had this kind of conglomerate of underworld criminals uh, socialising at the hotel at the time. 
City West Hotel at that time, very much the, uh, literally a pillar of society. You had Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael Ardeshna on there. You had, you had major events. So nobody would have suspected this is what was going on in the background. What was, what was the deal? So the deal done was that 4.5 million euro in cash was to be delivered to Jim Mansfield Jr. And this was to be put into a development he was working on called Sagart uh, Lodge Court in the Sagart area in West Dublin. And the exact deal was that four townhouses were to be delivered and signed over to uh, Thomas Bomber Cavanagh. Now, what we heard in the High Court last week was that he was effectively acting as an agent and the person he was acting for was the Kinnan Cartel and specifically Daniel Kinahan. So, in effect, we have uh, Daniel Kinahan attempting to invest money in property being developed by Jim Mansfield Jr. We're, we're dealing with uh, criminals here and it, it was almost like something out of, that you'd see in a in a Hollywood movie uh, here in terms of how the, the money was, was handed over. T- t- tell us about that. Yeah, fairly bizarre uh, recollection of it from the uh, the main witness in the case against Jim Mansfield, Martin Byrne, was that he was dispatched in the early hours of the morning after Good Friday to, to Sagard House, which was the private residence of Jim Mansfield. He was told to make uh, room uh, available for a van that was to drop off some of cash. And Martin Byrne recalled Gary that he arrived at the property, he opened up the gates and allowed this van access. And two men he didn't recognise got out. They brought in these two big navy canvas style suitcases and left and now it later transpired that what was in those suitcases was approximately 4.5 million euro in cash mansfield is given this money effectively to pay for these these uh, these houses uh, as such he had other ideas of what what the cash should be for though yeah um the money was used uh, straight away to i suppose secure contracts in these townhouses and jim mansfield jr being who he is uh, didn't do that or uh, definitely not straight away anyway. He told Martin Byrne that he was going to use it for, to put money towards a convention centre they're building and towards a Saudi project, I think something to do with an English language school. And those projects were, I suppose, needed a bit more funding and he said he'd use that money to fund them. Now, a few days later, we now know he was talking to, uh, I think, a financial controller of some sort who worked with him and he told him to get the contract sorted. Uh, This never happened and in 2010, the uh, Mansfield Empire went into receivership and he was in a lot of debt to uh, very, very serious people. And what were the, the contracts so were for the, effectively for the purchase, to make the purchase of the houses legal in some, in some way? Yeah, to make them prim and proper. To, the, mo- the money was to be used for contracts to be officially signed, formulated and the deeds handed over to, I'm sure it wouldn't have been, you know, Daniel Kinahan's name wouldn't have been on the deeds and I doubt very much Thomas Cavanagh's name would have been on those deeds, but somebody, a third party acting for them would have had their names on it and it would have been effectively controlled by Kavanagh and Kinahan. And Kavanagh and Thompson were, were kind of the the middlemen in, in effect in all the, it was all effectively the people at either end were, were Mansfields and Kinahans basically. Yeah, they were effectively, I think um, in the high court, we heard that Lee Cullen was also heavily involved in these talks. Now Lee Cullen would have been a, a Celtic Tiger playboy as such, a socialite and a car dealer, but he also had uh, links to serious people involved in serious crime. And he was a go-between between the Mansfields and the Kavanaghs and he informed Jim Mansfield Jr. and Martin Byrne in around 2010 or late 2011, I think it actually was, that uh, the cabinets were just a go-between and that the people who actually owned the money and were in control of it were the Kinnan cartel. Yeah, and then, of course, uh, things start to go, go, go awry and 
Mansfield starts to get uh, phone calls uh, about what, what was happening with with the money and 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 the contracts. How was that? How did that play out? Yeah, so the the company or the empire goes into receivership in 2010, and Kavanaugh wants his money back. Um, phone calls are made, and these aren't people who you know make lovely polite phone calls and you know gently ask for their cash and a serious amount of cash to be returned. And they're threatening phone calls, they're aggressive phone calls, and they're taken very seriously by Jim Mansfield Jr. And even he was uh, warned on a number of occasions over the years that there were serious threats to his life. And eventually they got fed up with Jim Mansfield Jr. And I think his father, Jim Sr., was informed that they no longer trusted his son and that they would be dealing with him. And at the time, Jim Sr. would have been, I think, in his early 70s, but suffering from ill health and his health was certainly deteriorating. But he wasn't even immune to these kind of threats. Martin Byrne recalled how Jim Sr. was getting, you know, aggressive and threatening phone calls at all hours of the day and night. And he's becoming very nervous and fearful for his safety as well. Do the Mansfields have any money though at this point? I mean, is is that the fundamental problem? That there's no cash to give to return? Yeah, certainly they might have had a bit of cash, but you know, to recoup 4.5 million, it didn't seem they had that at all. And the deal that was struck was that 50,000 euro would be handed over in three payments in three months to Kavanaugh on behalf of Kinnan, and that the keys of 10 cold water lakes would also be handed over as repayment. Now, 10 cold water lakes is this really luxurious uh, big mansion out in West Dublin. It's in a gated community. Um, there's a number of different mansions out there, and it's really kind of salubrious and lovely property. Now, if it was actually enough to recoup the 4.5 million, I'm not too sure, but certainly would have been valued several million at the time and that was the deal struck and that was Mansfield's efforts to get Kinnan and Kavanaugh off his back. And what happens then once once they get effectively at such control in inverted commas uh, of, of this property they, they start doing their own room to improve on it? They do, they put in a lot of money to uh, do it up to put in high quality CCTV systems but unfortunately for them they barely had the foot in the door when uh, Gardy came knocking and in January, on January 28, 2015, there was a fairly significant operation involving Gardaí from the organised crime units, CAB, and all these different national units. And they targeted uh, several different Mansfield properties. And one house in particular, the target was 10 Coldwater Lakes. And certainly a lot of interesting material and persons were found when they went knocking on the front door. Yeah, so what, what, what did they find inside in the House of Horror then? Well, the first person they encountered was Matthew Macklin. Now, Matthew Macklin is a former boxer and businessman and, you know, as has been you know, well documented, he's also a good friend of Daniel Kinnan. They have to say Matthew Macklin has no involvement in organised crime. But he was at the door, we heard. He let Gardy in, he spoke with Gardy, but uh, what was pointed out in court, he declined to answer any questions. And apart from him being there, also a number of documentation was seized. In one bedroom, they found Daniel Kinnan's passport. They also found... Uh, documents linking to air baggage that would have been booked for flights for him going from Dublin to, I think it was Spain. There's also documentation found belonging to James Quinn. Now, James Quinn is a, a member of the Kinnan organised crime gang. He has around 70 previous convictions and he's currently serving a sentence in Spain in relation to the murder of Gary Hutch, which is, of course, the murder that kicked off that feud. And all, all sorts of other documentation which link back to Kinnan OCG members. And this was, Cab said, proof and evidence that that house, even though Daniel Kinnan's name wasn't on the paperwork or on the deeds, that it was effectively controlled by him from around 2014 onwards. Yeah, so it's effectively kind of a either Kinnan HQ or safe house of some, of some form at that point, given the, the amount of documentation that, that was found there. 
Uh, definitely uh, both probably a headquarters and a safe house. Um, I think in around late 2014, Gardy started collating a lot of you know unusual cars linked to serious criminals at the property. Uh, Kinnan would have stayed there as well on his you know infrequent trips back to Ireland before the feud kicked off. And even his brother, Christy Kinnan Jr., who has also been sanctioned by the US government and was seriously and is seriously involved in that crime gang on the financial side, he was also at the property on several occasions. And we know this from CCTV footage that was recovered from the house. So there's certainly a lot of comings and goings. And the size of the property, the fact that it was hidden away in the gated community, it would have been a perfect uh, property and safe house for them to use over the years. 10 Coldwater Lakes, it very much came to public prominence, this address uh, in, in from court in recent days. Tell us what, what played out in court. Yeah, so last week, that case against Jim Mansfield Jr., Thomas Kavanagh and Daniel Kinnan uh, essentially finished or nearly concluded and the state were granted an order to seize that asset, 10 Calder Water Lakes, and around €3,000 found the property from Kinahan, Mansfield and Kavanagh. Now, at the very outset of those proceedings in around April, the Mansfield family said that they disavowed any interest in the property and other cash found. And essentially, it was this, up to the state then to serve papers on Kinahan and Kavanagh uh, to prove those papers were served and that all efforts were made to uh, to serve papers and to give them notice to uh, reply to the proceedings if they wanted to. That didn't happen when the court began last week. Their names were called out and no answer was given despite serious and you know, ongoing efforts to contact them. I think Thomas Kavanagh is serving a 21-year sentence in prison. 54-year-old Thomas Bomber Kavanagh, originally from Dublin with an address in Tamworth in the UK, ran the Kinahan Crime Cartel's UK operation. The crime agency estimated that he oversaw the importation of 36 million euro worth of cannabis and cocaine into the UK in 2016 and 2017. Gardy went to him, police officers went to him and he refused to engage them. And even um, Gardy sent various documents to Dubai where they believe Daniel Kinnan is still residing and hiding and there was no response from that. So Judge uh, Michael McGrath said that, you know, he accepted efforts had been made, no um, no response had been given and the case go ahead. And effectively he accepted the evidence from CAB through various affidavits that the property 10 Coldwater Lakes and that cash was the proceeds of crime, um, more likely drug dealing and that the state could seize it. So quite surreal scenes in court where you're you're literally having the Kinnahan's names be, being being called out and just a blank silence coming reverberating back. Yeah, and you know, not really. But you kind of half expect nearly, you know, somebody from the back of the courtroom say yes, present or yes, here's counsel for Kinnahan, but that was never going to happen. I think it's been kind of accepted over time in various high court and central criminal court cases and special criminal court cases that Daniel Kinnan just won't engage with the state, he won't engage with Gardaí. I'm pretty sure he feels he's been wronged and that he's an innocent businessman and that, you know, the state are out to get him so he won't engage with the judicial system or court system over here. And even a difficulty for the guards now in terms of delivering uh, legal letters to what is believed to be the Kinnahan's addresses over in, over in Dubai. Yeah, uh, effectively delivering um, papers to him in person will prove difficult. The complexes he's believed to be living at in Dubai are gauged communities with security guards and getting direct access to him. If he doesn't want you there, is simply nearly impossible, especially if you're in a, a foreign jurisdiction. And the second point was uh, in an affidavit by a guard who tried to effect uh, summons on Kinnan or effect papers on Kinnan was that he contacted DHL, the courier service, to send over um, the documents to Kinnan Dubai and they refused. They cited operational reasons um, and reputational risk and this all stems from those sanctions imposed by the US government back in April where anyone seen doing any kind of business with Daniel Kinnan could 
you know, face serious sanctions and consequences. And it's interesting that this even extends to a courier company simply delivering papers to Kinahan that, you know, it shows how wide and uh, deep those sanctions go. Yeah, you wouldn't fancy being that postman delivering that, that letter either. The significance, though, of, of this is that it's the first time CAB have, have got a ruling that allows them to seize a property linked to the Kinahan's. Yeah, the very first one. And it's interesting that this all started, you know, 13 years ago. Um, they believe there are more properties they can directly tie to them that they want to seize. But this is the first, you know, this luxurious property that no deed, more interest in the case, no deeds or no name of his was on the property. But they still managed to uh, to seize it to say it was in his name and the High Court accepted that. So it's certainly interesting that might give a bit more impetus for cases going forward that uh, they can seize properties not directly linked to Kinnan, but that they believe he controls and uh, were the proceeds of crime. Yeah, so the, the, again, the, the net uh, closes that, that bit tighter. Now, Rob, there was other interesting affidavits came out in court uh, associated with this case. There was, uh, we heard evidence from what was called a criminal affidavit to, uh, I suppose, provide further evidence of Daniel Kinnan's involvement in organised crime. And that came from Detective Chief Superintendent Seamus Boland of the Drugs and Organised Crime Bureau. And in his affidavit, he said that Kinnan was uh, highly involved in the importation of drugs to this jurisdiction, to the UK and to mainland Europe. And uh, another important point that I don't think has been actually formally said in court before was that he said that Daniel Kinnan sanctioned murders linked to the Hutch Kinnan feud which has claimed a number of lives over recent years. So that was fairly significant and compelling evidence and obviously went uh, must have went some way to uh, swaying the judge and making the judge accept that Daniel Kinnan is obviously involved in organised crime at a serious level. You mentioned uh, a man called Martin Byrne. Um, who is he? So Martin Byrne was the former head of the security for the Mansfield family and he would have worked for them for several years. Now in around 2015, unfortunately for him, he came at the year of certain criminals um, in June 2015, he was abducted by a gang led by dissident terrorists, in particular Desi O'Hare and Declan Wacker Duffy. He was uh, taken against his will, held hostage and beaten for some time. Um, now, the seven men involved have all received varying different levels of, um, of prison sentences. Now, the state had put Jim Mansfield Jr. on trial for that. They said that he arranged that abduction and was behind it. This wasn't accepted by the Special Criminal Court, but he was found guilty of attempting to impede the Garden investigation by deleting CCTV footage. The footage showed Mansfield leaving a West Dublin hotel with former employee Martin Byrne on the morning he was kidnapped by Republicans Desi O'Hare and Declan Duffy. And as part of that trial and other evidence collected as part of that investigation, Martin Byrne had to essentially turn state's witness and for his own protection he was entered into the witness security programme. And from that, and from that guard investigation, he gave further details to the Criminal Assets Bureau where this High Court, a lot of evidence, a lot of the evidence heard in the High Court uh, would have came from those statements he gave. So, so this is a man who, who basically, through his work, came into contact with basically some of the, the most high-ranking criminals that we have in the country. Yeah, through his work as a security, head of security for the Mansfield family, he came into contact with all sorts of criminals from, you know, now convicted murder, murderers, drug traffickers, distant Republicans, and all from his work uh, with the Mansfield family, in particular Jim Jr. You know, he's a family man, he's a number of kids, he's married, and their lives have been turned upside down by him having to turn state witness, give evidence against his former boss and the people who abducted him. And uh, he's now, you know, living under an assumed identity in a different place and, you know, very wary about his own security, I'd imagine. What's our understanding about witness protection and, and how it operates uh, for, for Garda witnesses? 
Well, very little is known about in this country, I suppose, true what it, what it is and the confidentiality around it. And um, what we do know is that there's different levels to it, uh, from lower to highest, and the highest level would see a person uh, given a new identity, given new documents, relocated to a different country, preferably in most cases an English-speaking country. And in the majority, but not all cases in Ireland, it involves a person who was involved in a crime or in a criminal organisation turning against their associates. Uh, in few cases, in fairness, that isn't the case where just people, innocent people or normal Joe Soaps may witness a crime or be involved in an incident and have to turn state's witness, as is the case with Martin Byrne. So there's very different degrees to it, but unfortunately very little is known about it due to the actual nature of the work. And my thanks to Robin Schiller for joining me today. I'm Fionn Sheehan and today's episode of the Indo-Daily was produced by Mary Carroll, researched by Tabitha Monaghan, with sound by Gavin Hennessy. Archive clips from RTE News, Virgin Media News and Independent.ie. If you enjoy the Indo Daily, don't forget to like, follow and leave us a review. You can find more of our award-winning journalism online at the Irish Independent. <laughs> <laughs>